Hello. Yes, this is really happening. This is really happening. I'm really on. Merry Christmas to everybody. I hope everybody had a great holiday. Is having a great holiday. I know I did. Welcome to Turfgrass Epistemology. My name is Travis Shaddix. Thank you so much for joining me. I hope everybody's nice and full from their Christmas meals and had good family time. I had, I think, what is what was the greatest Christmas Eve I've, I've ever had. It was fantastic. Stayed here at my house, cooked some filet with baked potato with my children and my wife out on my deck. It was fantastic. We had some s'mores outside by the campfire and just relaxed all day and had a good time. Had some neighbors over jumping on the trampoline and just, it was just like, I don't know what heaven would be like, but it's hard to imagine something being better than my Christmas Eve this year. It was very relaxing and very enjoyable. I hope everybody else's was as good or better than mine. Super TA, Gray, Jeremy, Rich, Brady, Lush. Welcome all. Welcome one. We're going to have a, a good night tonight. Might be a little long, so get your drinks ready and get your eggnog or something stronger, whatever you may have. And just uh, sit back and relax, have fun. I'm going to put the, the phone number back up here in a few minutes. If anybody wants to chat with me, feel free. It's a nice, relaxing day. We have some, we have a video. We have a couple comments we're going to go over today. We have a product that I haven't seen before, but the comment led me to look at the label and um, we're going to go over that briefly. And we have an article if we get to it. My last episode was, I think it was just the comments episode. I think it was, it was an hour and a half of just going over nice comments and chit chat and interactions with you all. So who knows? We may never even get to the article tonight, but if we do, it'll be an iron article. I'm going over iron for those who may be new to the channel. This is turfgrass epistemology. We're trying to figure out how we know what we know about turfgrass science. We went over fall fertility of cool season grasses, primarily nitrogen fertility of cool season grasses. And a month ago, we, for the last two or three weeks, we've been going over, um, iron, before that, we went over thatch. The video today, somehow it missed my radar when I was going over thatch. I don't know how this video escaped me, but um, the video today will have, it'll be a thatch video. So I'll go back over that briefly. And um, so yeah, like I said, there's a lot to go over today. But um, I just had a, a really good holiday, a good day today. And I'm ready for, for some more turf grass epistemology. For those, like I said, for those of you joining us new, if you're not familiar with the channel, we generally go over scientific articles, try to build, try to describe or explain the model of turf grass science through the, um, through the, understanding and reading and comprehension of scientific articles. That's generally the best way, the most reliable way to find out, you know, how we know what we know. So that's generally what we'll do. 
I'm going to, let's see, what should I do first? So much stuff going on. I need like five screens tonight. Let's, I'm going to start the video, I think, first. And I'm going to put up the, I'm going to put up the phone number again. Uh, you guys probably just want to hang out and listen. That's cool. If you want to chat and you do decide to call in, just understand I'm on about a 10 or 15 second delay. So just pause the video or mute the video or whatever and talk to me on the phone directly is the best way to do it so that you're not confused about what you're hearing on the computer versus what you're hearing on the phone. Uh, let's see. And if you don't call in, that's cool. Whatever. I did check it again. It does seem like it's working. I've been corresponding with um, a, a future guest, po a possible guest on that phone number. So I, I believe it's working. I got some correspondence from... Uh, forgive me. I forgot who, who helped me out in the, on the discord and said that they tried to contact me, but it wasn't working. So perhaps it was my fault the last time around. I don't know. Um, but I think it's working. <laughs> we'll see. Who knows? Uh, you never know with me with this stuff. I can't keep track of my own keys, much less five, you know, five screens open at the same time. So let's get into the video. I'm going to go to, let me think here. Um, I'm going to go to this video first. I'm going to open up, I think I'm going to try to open up the, the phone line if I can. I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to do that or not. But if you want to chat, the phone number is 859-444. Four two three four, and I think. And by the way, if you don't want to talk live on the air, that's fine. I, I I wouldn't want to either. I just hang out and listen. But if you do have a question and you want to call in, you can always call in and leave a voicemail for me. Um, I don't answer the, that phone during at all unless I'm on the show. I, I never answer the phone. It's a computer phone number. But you can leave a voicemail for me, and I may choose to use that as a topic of conversation on the show if you if you're so inclined to do that and i think you can even i'm i think you can even send texts to it as well i got a text earlier today on that phone number so this is all new to me i'm sure this is all very common for you guys but i'm, I'm not familiar with how all this stuff works but uh today we're going to discuss this video if i can get it centered on the screen again here which probably won't be able to let me see if I can fix this screen over here. I had this all pre pre wired and ready to go and, and I messed it up somehow. But when I was going over thatch a couple of weeks ago, somehow this video escaped me. I would have went over it then and I wanted to go over it now before it's too late. The, um, Now, if you recall on thatch, we went over, I don't know how many papers went on thatch. And the, the conclusion of all those thatch papers was thatch is a problem for water penetration. Um, it's a problem for turf quality and so forth through various issues with water and light. If it develops too much, if there's too much thatch and thatch is a, is a result of lignous materials, stolons and rhizomes and the lignaceous components of turf grass building up quicker than they're breaking down. The lignin is the problem and it's very difficult to break down. It's only broken down by a handful of white rot fungi apparently. And so 
products generally don't do much to thatch because the um, the difficult because of the difficulty in breaking down lignin. Even mechanical aeration and verticutting and vertical raking and top dressing, even those sometimes don't help. That's the most reliable method we have at the moment. They, they, the odds are good that that's the best uh, solution, the best management practice, or those mechanical uh, cultural practices for controlling thatch. But even those are hit and miss depending on how bad the thatch is and what turf grass it is and so forth. So all in, in a nutshell... Thatch is difficult to control. We've never really figured it out for sure. You should do this. Okay. And the website, uh, Earthworks Turf, I think it is called. I can't remember. The company's Earthworks. They have this two-minute turf talk video on thatch, and I missed it somehow. So I wanted to go over it. Let's see if they have some sort of magical cure for thatch that escaped science. So let's listen to it and see what he has to say. Hi, everybody. I'm Joel Simmons for another two-minute turf talk. So for those of you who don't know, Joel Simmons is the founder of Earthworks. He's an evidence denier. Um, he's a magical ratio guy. He used to teach at Rutgers somehow. He taught the second-year, uh, two-year turfgrass Soils class, the, the two-year degree um, program. He taught the second-year soils class there. And I want to say 2005, 6, 7, something like that. He was, by his own acknowledgement, fired from Rutgers for teaching a lot of non-evidence-based information. So kudos to Rutgers for not allowing people to teach information that is not based on evidence our students who come out need to get the best information they can based upon the best evidence there is. And if there's information being taught that is not evidence-based in an accredited university, um, that's not a good thing. So he was let go by Rutgers by his own acknowledgement because he taught base saturation. He he's, he's into all this magical ratio numbers and calcium magnesium and, all sorts of natural organic stuff. So he denies all the evidence when that refutes his position when it comes to base saturation and all sorts of other things. So that's who Joel Simmons is. So as we, as we get started, if you don't know, that's Joel. You ever wondered where thatch comes from? Thatch is directly related to an imbalanced carbon to nitrogen ratio in the soil. Okay. So there's one claim. So car, uh, thatch is directly related to carbon nitrogen ratio in the soil. No evidence. He, 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 I don't know if he's ever provided any evidence for any of his claims, but he's not going to provide any evidence in this video for that. Um, we didn't show any evidence. I didn't show any evidence about carbon to nitrogen ratios in the soil having a direct relationship to thatch development. Thatch development is, is a result oftentimes, but not always, oftentimes a result of, well, it is a result of the, the lignaceous materials being um, developed at a rate faster than they degrade really. And what enhances that is the application of excessive applications of any form of nitrogen. If you're really pushing and pushing the system such that it's growing tissue faster than it breaks down, then you're going to, in some cases, develop thatch. Although there's some literature that shows that doesn't happen. Some literature shows it does happen. I'm willing to accept that 
you know, excessive amounts of any form of nitrogen will likely result in excessive thatch. But the carbon to nitrogen ratio in the soil, I'm not aware of any evidence that supports that, and he's not going to show any of it. So it's just one claim he's just pulling out of thin air. And when carbon to nitrogen ratios are imbalanced, the plant grows extensively, the root system grows extensively in the soil, and microbes don't have enough food energy in order to digest them down into humus. So there's another claim. He's claiming that there's not enough food for the microbes to grow and break these these this thatch down. Um, I don't know if that's true or not. I'm not here to say it's not true. I'm just here to say that I'm not convinced that it is true. Microbes um, are going to get their food one way or the other. And whether or not they have enough to break down thatch is another issue. There's only certain types of microbes that can break down thatch to any meaningful extent. At least that's my understanding. And so his idea, his thought is, is that the carbon to nitrogen ratio is imbalanced to the point where there's not enough soluble carbon to enhance or inflate the population of microbes to break down the thatch. And again, could be true, could not be true. Um, but if you're not providing any evidence, there's no reason to believe it. So what we want to do is make sure that we have balanced the nitrification cycle and have adequate amounts of carbon in that soil, available carbon, so that when we do apply nitrogen, uh, the system isn't just growing and growing without checks and balances. If you want to know, um, there's a couple of key phrases that you can tell someone's not a soil scientist, at least not a traditionally trained soil scientist. One of them is this is um, available nutrients, available nitrogen, like um, a soil test. Uh, let's say you take a soil test and they say, well, this is available potassium. That's, that's a key sign that they're not a soil scientist when they're saying that. Not that they need to be a soil scientist, but you just know you're speaking to someone when they say that that doesn't understand soil, soils in a traditional sense like a soil scientist would. And so when he says available carbon, soil scientists don't use that term. Not, not in like that's doesn't it doesn't mean anything to me really available carbon what we use is soluble organic carbon it's usually acronym is soc soluble organic carbon is what we use when we're writing or speaking or we're comparing things or whatever we're not worried we would never say available carbon or available phosphorus we would say extractable phosphorus or soluble phosphorus or exchange, you know, something like that. We wouldn't say available phosphorus, available carbon. So that's a key phrase that you, not to say he's wrong because he says it. It's just that when someone says something like that to, to a soil scientist like myself, those are little indicators. Like, I don't, it's like, well, he might not know what he's talking about. Then I hear another one. Eh, I don't carbon nitrogen ratio. Eh, you know, there's all these little phrases that, that go off in my mind. It's like, I don't think he's really a soil scientist. I don't like, he's probably just regurgitating key points from some, resource that he read or something i don't know but he's he's i don't think he's a soil scientist I, I think he has a master's degree i'm not sure if he has a phd when there is adequate carbon in the soil when there's food sources for microbes they work very aggressively and one of the things that they're going to do is digest that lignus carbon material that is root systems and that is that well microbes do break down thatch i mean obviously there's there's uh thatch there's uh, microbes that break down thatch in soils or else there'd be you know 20 meters of thatch out there because none of it ever broke down over history. 
Um, but he, he conflates like microbes need to grow and break down thatch. It, it, it's, I don't know if he's intending to do it. He's not, not all microbes break down thatch. There's only a certain portion or certain uh, fraction of microbes that, are, that, can, that can do that. And that is the microbes that can uh, tear apart the lignin and break down the lignin. That's, at least that's from my understanding from the conversations I've had with scientists who are specialists who are on this channel, by the way. You can go back and look at those videos if you haven't seen them already. So thatch is directly related to the overuse of synthetic nitrogen. So, so he just, you know, just slipped that right in there, right? So it was earlier, it was directly related to the carbon nitrogen ratio. Now it's directly related to the overuse of synthetic nitrogen, not overuse of nitrogen, overuse of synthetic nitrogen. Okay. And the re one reason why he has to say that is because, and he may have said it so many times at this point, he actually believes it, but he has to say that because he sells natural organic products. He, he's not, if, if, if only if the only thing people needed was nitrogen, synthetic nitrogen, he'd be out of business because the only pe thing people would be buying would be synthetic nitrogen sources. They wouldn't be buying all these other, all this other stuff. So he has to have some sort of hook or catch or niche in the market to, you know, get his products in there. And so why not, you know, paint synthetic nitrogen as the bad guy. So overuse now it's, so it's the overuse of synthetic nitrogen that's causing the problem, according to Jill Simmons. Not that there's anything wrong with using synthetic nitrogen, no. but we have been hearing oh too much in this industry recently of all you need is nitrogen. Yeah, I know. It's just, it's funny how that works whenever um, people follow the evidence. When people follow the evidence and follow the science, it tends to result in people applying basically nitrogen. <laughs> There's a reason why the population stayed basically at the same rate until after World War II. <laughs> okay. The Haber-Bosch process created so much ammunition, so much explosives, they didn't know what to do with it after World War II. So they ended up using it as fertilizer. And that's when the food uh, growth just exploded per acre. Food per acre just absolutely went bananas. And the population followed because of synthetic nitrogen. There's been natural organic nitrogen used for six, seven, eight thousand years. It used to, they used to think it was like 4,000 years. But here recently there's been some evidence to indicate that it could go back as far as 8,000 years natural organic fertilizers and they they no one's saying they don't work natural organic fertilizers will result in will result in increased growths for sure but it wasn't until the Haber-Bosch process where we were able to synthesize nitrogen out of the air where food and growth in plants and human populations just really exploded that's a and there's a very very compelling case that the Haber-Bosch process was direct directly resulted in the explosion of the human population and to even today is responsible for the dietary needs of potentially half of the world population there's a very very strong case to make that it's the half the people alive today are alive today because of synthetic nitrogen synthesized from air via the Haber-Bosch process so don't paint synthetic nitrogen like it's a big problem and it's, a, it's, it's the world's worst thing. Overuse of synthetic nitrogen is going to result in all this stuff. Overuse of any nitrogen is going to result in excess growth of any plant. It doesn't have to be synthetic. Even the natural organic nitrogen sources are going to break down into inorganic 
nitrogen, ammonium and nitrate and be taken up by the plant. All of it has to be inorganic in order to be taken up by the plant. So he, he, but he doesn't say overuse of nitrogen. He says overuse of synthetic nitrogen. Okay. I got a kick out of that when I first heard it. Well, by the way, I just saw this this morning. <laughs> I didn't even know this existed until this morning. Like I got to go, I have to go over this video. All you have in your program is nitrogen. You will be growing an adequate amount of thatch. I, I think he misspoke there. I'm not going to hammer him too hard on that. When you, when you say, if, you, if you're only applying nitrogen, you will be growing an adequate amount of thatch. Oh, yeah, I agree. I have no problem with that whatsoever. <laughs> I think he meant to say excessive amounts of, amount of thatch because an adequate amount of thatch is actually very, very helpful. I mean, some thatch is beneficial. So I'm pretty sure he meant to say excessive. So I'm not going to harm. I'm not going to hit him too bad on that because I, I make mistakes when I'm speaking and stuff too as well. I don't. I don't realize I say the wrong word sometimes. But I think he's saying excessive thatch because adequate thatch is not a problem. So how do we get rid of thatch? So here comes the the hook. <laughs> now you guys know we went over thatch for a month and I was pulling my hair. I don't even have any hardly hair any hair left. And I'm whatever I have left, I'm pulling it out because I can't stand going over thatch. I, I, that, that was torture for me for that month. Okay. <laughs> it was not easy. Now, like I've said before, I learned a tremendous amount and I'm very happy I did it. And looking in hindsight, I'm happy I did it. But man, that was tough. Ooh, that was not easy. But for that month, how do we get rid of thatch? There is no silver bullet to thatch. I mean, if you say airification, well, there's cases where it doesn't work. If you say top dressing, there's cases where that doesn't work. If you say verticutting, there's cases where that doesn't work. Okay. In general, there's a pretty good chance that one of those three will probably be beneficial. Okay. There's cases where they don't, but the odds are that management practice, those management practices, if you're going to be a betting man, the odds are good that one of those is probably the direction to go. But in no case other than lycase, the, the, the products that contain the enzyme lycase from white rot fungi. In no case do we ever see a consistent influence from applying carbon, applying sugars, applying microbes. That that was never even, you know, we went over products on back as, as far back, I think, as 72 or 67. I can't remember how far back we went where they're applying molasses and sucrose and glucose and all sorts of soluble organic carbon sources trying to figure out if they could hyperinflate the activity of microbes and break it down. And, and they, I think there might have been one case where in one year of one study, they saw a little blip on the radar where there might have been something happened. But consistently across the board, the, the, the consensus was that those products that contain these sugars and these are soluble organic carbons to do this didn't ever result in it. Does that mean his product's not going to do it? No, it doesn't. I don't know what his product's going to do. I just know that the, the body of evidence doesn't support any, any um, reason to believe that any application of an organic soluble carbon source would result in thatch reduction. What we do is we get microbes to really work for us. Take a look at this picture. This is what I call the thatch cake. Here's a perfect example of a superintendent that used a lot of urea and then top dressed and did that year after year. And you can see a layer of thatch and a layer of sand. No, well, wait a second. I thought, I thought you said the problem was um, excessive amounts of inorganic nitrogen. Hmm. Let's go back and make sure we understood this correctly. Where was that at? Adequate carbon in the soil when there's food sources for microbes. They work very aggressively. And one of the things that they're going to do is digest that lignous carbon material that is root systems. And that is thatch. 
So thatch is directly related to the overuse of synthetic nitrogen. Synthetic. Okay. So he caught himself. That was a good one. He said synthetic instead of inorganic because when you say, um, Dressed. and did that year after year, he applied, this guy applied urea. So he said synthetic. Of a superintendent oh. that used a lot of urea. Okay. So he caught himself. He used the right word. I can't say anything about it because urea is organic. Urea has carbon. I think it's like 20 something percent carbon in it. Soluble carbon for every pound of nitrogen. I think you get a half a pound or 0.4 pounds of soluble carbon. I can't, if someone can run the math and post it in the chat, I can't remember, but something like that. And then top dressed and did that year after year. And you can see a layer of thatch and a layer of sand. So the ideal thing here is to bring in some carbon, feed the microbes, get them as active as we possibly can, and get that system working so that there is digestion in that system. And the best way to do that is during airification, get some airification amendment. So, I mean, it all sounds fine. That sounds great. So anybody that doesn't know, it sounds great. Well, we can get those, car get those microbes working as best we can, you know. And... Um, and, you know, get the microbes working and break it down. But when you know, when you have a little bit of knowledge, a little bit of fundamental understanding of the systems, this sort of stuff just is like water off a duck's back to me. It's like, yeah, okay. I heard that many times. I'm, I'm pretty familiar with the evidence. I don't see any evidence that would support that. But to the average person who might not know, you might get caught. You might get stuck in that, you know, vortex of thinking, oh, well, that might work. And, you know, that might do something because that makes sense. You know, that's the availability heuristic, right? And you think, well, that kind of springs to mind the easiest. That kind of makes sense. Let's do it. No evidence. It's in there like the Earthworks airification program that can help break down thatch. <laughs> so there's another claim. Earthworks verification program that can help break down thatch. And I've looked at the label on both these products, this Micro Replenish and this Renovate Plus. I've looked at both of those. Uh, they're primarily, um, they're just derived from natural organic products. Like uh, I think one's blood meal, one's feather meal or something, bone meal. They're just um, animal products. And then one Micro Replenish says carbon-based fertilizer with mycorrhiza. There's, there's nothing in there that, was even remotely convincing. I don't know what would be in there that would convince me in terms of granular because I, I'm not familiar. And that's all, that's, that's all I'm going to go over on that video. I don't, I don't know of anything in the literature that, um, says anything of convincing that would, um, said anything convincing in the literature that would convince me. I mean that, oh yeah, this sort of, if a product contains this, then you're likely to see a result and reduction and whatever, you know, the, uh, let me pop this back up if you guys want to call. Uh, yeah. So I looked at those labels. There's no reason to believe it. And, and that, that's the, that's the key sort of to remember in a lot of these claims is that I'm not saying I can't, I can't say it won't work because I'm a scientist and I can't ever prove a negative, right? We don't ever accept the null hypothesis. We either reject it or we fail to reject it. And I know that sounds like, you know, I don't know. Well, I don't know what it sounds like, but at some time, my scientist friends, we have to have some sort of pragmatic approach to these things. I mean, pragmatically, I can say that's not going to work. None of that stuff's going to result in a reduction in thatch. Because I mean, we have people out there just making this stuff up, pulling it out of thin air and convincing our clientele and our stakeholders and our taking our industry down a path that is not evidence-based. 
I know as scientists, it's hard to take those stands because you, you know, you can't say it doesn't work, Travis. I know I can't say that as a scientist, but at some point we have to be able to have a pragmatic hat as well. And, um, you know, as a scientist, I can't say it won't work. You're right. But I can say as a scientist, I'm not convinced it will work. And there's no good reason to believe that it will work. There's no good reason to believe this will work. Okay. And that, and that's as a scientist, I think we should, we can at least go there for those people, for those scientists, friends of mine who don't feel comfortable saying it won't work. I get that. I understand that, but we can say there's no evidence to convince me that it will. Okay. So that's our friend, Joel, the evidence denier. <laughs> We're going to come back to Joel a few times. He has a lot of good stuff on base saturation. He has all sorts of magical, mystical things that, you know, can change your program for the best fairies and, you know, all sorts of stuff can be on that tag. Who knows what'll be on those things. So it'll be a while before we get to soul testing philosophies and things like that, I think. But when we get there, uh, he will play a prominent role when it comes to one, the base saturation philosophy. So that's all I got on that. Okay. Now what I'd like to do is go to, if I can get it back up here, I think I'm going to have to restructure this thing. Um, oh, by the way, if you want to say something to me, I forgot to mention that at the beginning of tonight's show. If you want to say something to me specifically, and you don't want me to miss it, just say like, at Turfgrass Epistemology, or just say Travis Dash, and then ask your question. Because when I read through the text, sometimes I've, I've noticed in replays I've missed some questions. It wasn't intentional. I just didn't see it as a question to me. Oftentimes, you guys like to talk to each other, and that's great. Um, but kind of just pin me or peg me or whatever you want to call it. Just like peg my name or whatever you want to call what the word is, what the phrase is, but just highlight my name or something so I can see it on the chat and I won't miss it. At least I hope I don't miss it. <clears throat> Ulysses Serpa, I picked up a bag of granular 2005 for 2950 with 1% iron. The salesman uh, should get, oh, I'm, there's a typo there. I'm sorry. The salesman I said I should get 25, oh, the 25010 with 5% iron for more green up. It was double the price. <laughs> so it went from 29 basically $30 to almost 60 bucks. I said you should listen to Dr. Shadow. <laughs> Don't. <laughs> remember, remember I, pre, I appreciate that, Ulysses. I appreciate that. But remember, guys, okay, with all the love and all the respect to you, please, um, uh, I'm serious when I say this. I'm as sincere as I can be. It's, it's, and I, and I appreciate what you said, Lewis, Ulysses. I, I get what you said. I understand. But it's not me. I don't, I don't want people to walk away from this channel and say, Travis Shattuck said, do this. It's the evidence. I'm just the, I'm just the, the channel communicating the information to you all. That, that's all I'm doing. In some cases, I opine for sure. Some, you know, I'm human. Sometimes I opine. But when I'm providing information, if you take it as recommendations, I'm hoping that it is from the evidence that you're taking that recommendation, not just because I'm the, I'm the communicator of the evidence, right? In, in cases where I'm, it's my articles and that's different, you can say Shattuck's publication or whatever, but um, 
I, I understand what you're saying, Ulysses. I'm, I'm sure it was meant to, meant in the, the the best best way, but I I, <laughs> I don't want <clears throat> to I don't want you to fall victim to the appeal to authority, which is well, Doctor Shattuck said it, so it's true. That's an appeal to authority, which is a known flaw. Don't do that. Just say I'm convinced, you know, that the five percent iron is not going to do anything because there's no evidence to support that. In fact, there's evidence to refute it. <clears throat> Small little thing, but I do appreciate it, Ulysses. Let's go to another video that I posted this morning, which it seems to be getting some in, uh, attention. If I can do this, I know I I know I messed up the the oh here it is okay so this ironite uh, video I posted this morning got a couple comments on it that I'd like to use today to talk about rather than. I, I replied, but it, they're good comments, and I wanted to make sure that I use this um, to discuss the the interest of these these YouTubers. So, um, and I apologize if I mispronounce your name and, and your handle. I apologize, but it looks like at Matt DeGoyer5870, he said, I'm a huge fan of using iron. I mostly use Humigro Iron Max with 12% iron. I also use granular slow-release iron a granular slow release product with 5% iron. I see a color response in about three days. I swear the granular iron works. By the way, this is about the video about iron, iron propaganda won't make iron oxide soluble. I also get the oxidation of iron, but you keep saying that it doesn't work. Does it just take more time since it's oxidized? I don't really, I don't totally understand. I really appreciate your channel. Now I want to make sure that everybody understands how Matt DeGoyer's comment, how, how, profoundly vulnerable people can feel, but how profoundly courageous it is to say stuff like this in a public setting. He says, I don't totally understand that that's, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. You, you can't know everything about everything. Okay. And he, and he, from, I mean, Matt can speak for himself. Call in. In fact, you can call him right now. You can speak for yourself if you're on that. But, um, I'm getting the impression from this comment that he's being sincere. He's like, listen, I use this product. I see, I think I see a response. I use a granular product and I think I see a response there. I understand what you're saying about the oxidation, but I think I see a response. I don't understand. Can you help me? Basically is what, what he's saying. So I wanted to comment. I wanted to highlight that comment tonight on tonight's show um, because I just felt, I felt like someone that sincere and that open needs to be, needs to be applauded. And I'm going to applaud him. Thank you. And I'm going to go over the product that he mentioned. So he talked about Humigro Iron Max. Now he didn't mention the granular slow release product that he he uses. So I can't really go over that. But the Humigro product is um, here. And I, I I can't get the whole thing on here. I don't think there's so much stuff going on here. I apologize, guys. Um, the Humigro product is on on the website called Humigro. And you go under products and you go to micronutrients here. I've never used this particular brand, um, but you know, none, no reason, no reason to believe it being different, but you go all the way down to the bottom and you can see this iron Mac, iron max 1200, um, plus 8%. And I think this is what he's using. And I, I pulled up the label, which is here. So I'm believing that this is the product that he was referring to. I, I could be wrong. Um, 
but let me pull it. Let me pull this back up here. <clears throat> yeah, he he says iron iron max with twelve percent iron. This says iron max with eight percent iron. So I you know might be off, but if it doesn't matter if it's eight or twelve percent, what matters is is this, and it says right here form of the product is a liquid. So it's derived from urea and ferrous sulfate, and it's a liquid. So I'm assuming if he's listening that this the product that you're referring to, you're applying it as a liquid. All it has in it is urea and ferrous sulfate. Now, I don't, um, what's the word? I don't give the stamp of approval to products. I don't, um, what do you call it, sell products or you know, I don't know. I, I don't, I'm not an advertising for products. I'm not going to give my, my name or put my name on any, any product, but if I did, it might be a product like this to be frank. <laughs> I mean, or if you can do a 15 with some iron in, there's a lot of those 15 out there like Ferramec and so forth, but you're dealing with just urea and you're dealing with a straight of fair, uh, ferrous sulfate. You're not going to get any less expensive than that. And assuming that you're blending it or you're mixing it with the water that's not out of whack on the pH, in other words, assuming that you're able to spray it out effectively, you're going to get a good response from this urea and ferrous sulfate, uh, more than likely. So, um, oh man, I'm sorry, Matt, you tried to call. And I, you have to understand, I am completely incompetent when it comes to this stuff. Let me, let me, hang on, let me go back to me. If you tried to call, I would, I would like to offer you an opportunity to do that, but I am completely incompetent when it comes to this stuff. <laughs> Try again for it's eight, five, nine, four, 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 two, three, four. Don't use the plus one. Just hit the eight, five, nine. If you're in the United States, the plus one is for international calls. Maybe that's what's screwing people up. I don't know. Um, I'll give him a couple seconds cause there was like a 15 second delay. Maybe I should, maybe I should remove that plus one. Let's see if I can remove that plus one. Yeah. See if they see, if, I don't know. See if that works. Eight, five, nine, four, 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 two, three, four. Like I said, I tried it with my wife. I tried it with another person. It seemed like it works, but every time I get on here, it seems like it fails. So I apologize if you, if you can't get through, but, um, in the meantime, I'll go, I'll go back to this label, Matt. I'm sorry. Uh, Matt, yeah, Matt, I'll go back to the, to the label. I do appreciate you trying to call in and I'll, I'll, uh, I hope it works, man. Matt says it goes to voicemail. How am I going to do this? Well, I, I'll have to just work on it, guys. I, I'm sorry, Matt. I, I, I do appreciate you trying to let me know it went to voicemail. I'm not really sure why it does that. Cause I just tried it right before the show started and it worked, but I am, uh, 
I'm not sure that it's working. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sure how to do it. So maybe, maybe it, maybe it doesn't work. So the other person said the same thing that when he tried to call in, it just went to voicemail. So you're probably doing it right and I'm doing it wrong. Anywho, I'll, uh, that's disappointing on my end. I, I would, would like to give you an opportunity to chit chat with me if you'd like to, but anyway, so, um, Iron Max is like I said, it's just urea and ferrous sulfate. And, um, there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> I mean, it's probably going to result in pretty good looking turf or whatever you, um, Matt, let, yeah, let, let me tell you what, Matt, a good, good point. Let me, let me try to do this. Let me do this and try to, um, since you're, since you're giving it the old college try here, I'll do the same. I wonder if I call my wife, let me even put this on mute. See if I can call my wife. Let me, let me, oh, maybe it didn't have the microphone on. I th hopefully this is not on because I'm calling my wife. <laughs> oh, it's working. Okay. That's all I needed to do. Thank you. Beja Chow. Beja Chow. Well, it's working. I, I don't, I don't know, guys. I don't know. I need, I need help. <laughs> I'm trying my best here. It is working and I can hear her and she can hear me. Try it again, Matt. Give it, give it one more shot. And if it doesn't work, then we'll try it again off the air sometime. Um, your voicemail came through. This thing is just messed up. Oh, well. Okay. So anyway, the point is, is that the, the product's a liquid and it contains a soluble iron source with urea. So it's very likely to result in a, a greening. The urea is probably going to be taken up in the first one to six hours, which I'm going to show you a document here shortly about that. And the ferrous sulfate's going to be taken up probably in the same time. If not, it'll be stained on the leaf in a very short period of time. Okay, the next comment I'm going to go over has to do with the speed of up of, of uptake. Uh, so let me get back to the the, the comments. <clears throat> so he says, he says, um, I also use a granular slow release product with five percent iron. I see a color response in in about three days. I swear the granular iron works. So this is why iron is almost always included granular iron is almost always included with nitrogen whenever we put out a iron source in studies we separate it from nitrogen because the nitrogen will mask the response to the iron if there is ever a response to the iron and so if you see a response to a product that you're applying sort of in one uh, you know, blend that contains nitrogen, you, you are probably going to see a response to it. If you're applying it at, you know, th third of a pound of nitrogen or greater uh, per thousand square feet, you're probably going to see a green response to it. And because it has iron in it, oftentimes our confirmation bias starts to sort of kicks in and we, we're expecting to see a green response because it has iron. And then we see a green response. We go, oh, that must've come from the iron. When in reality, it comes from the nitrogen because when we separate those 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 components out, remember most fertilizer is is blended, 
the raw materials that are blended together like a cake, basically. Whenever we separate those um, components out and we just look at the nitrogen or we just look at the, the iron, we see responses to the nitrogen. We don't see responses to the iron in general. I'm going to show a response. Um, I'm, I did show a, a paper a, a week ago that did show a response to the uh, to granular iron. It can happen, but it's only under very unique circumstances. The iron is oxidized very rapidly, which I'm going to, again, I haven't shown you. I apologize. I'm trying to get to it in the next week or two, but... You're going to see how quickly that iron becomes insoluble. Oh, we got a phone call. All right, let's see if this works. Is it working? <laughs> Hello? Don't forget to turn off your computer because I'm, I'm on delay. I, I hear Hello? some. Hi. Can you hear me? Yeah. Oh, hi. Who am I speaking with? Uh, this is Super TA329. I, I didn't really have a question. I was just calling to make sure it was working. Oh, thanks so much, Super. Yeah. No, so it is working. You're the first. Okay. Yeah, I'm just a <laughs> DIYer, and uh, I really appreciate everything you're doing here. So. Well, thank I, you. I, uh, I, I love listening. Do you really? Now, yes. where, where, are you, where are you at, Super, again? Do you mind sharing? I'm, in, uh, I'm in New Jersey, Sickerville, New Jersey. Okay. Okay. I was in New Jersey a couple times at the Rutgers Field Day. They had an international tour, turf tour there years and years ago. And believe it or not, I almost moved to New Jersey in 2018 or 19, was it? 18 or 19. Well, so, I, I got to ask, why is that? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you this. There is a tremendously large, perhaps the world's largest dental supplier stationed in New Jersey, one of their, their headquarters, one of their largest uh, facilities is, mm. in New Jer is in New Jersey. And my wife was pursuing um, all, you know, options for her career. And she got an interview uh, with, with the dentist, the dental supplier, that, you know, who everybody's heard of. They probably have all their products. Yeah. And mm -hmm. uh, I, I, she went there to interview and I went with her and I chit chatted with the guys at Rutgers and had a good time. And you seem to not particularly be impressed with the state of New Jersey here. Am I reading it wrong? No, it's just, you know, I've never really had the experience of, uh, you know, living anywhere else. I've pretty much been, you know, born here and lived here my whole entire life. So. Oh, really? Okay. Well, I've seen you on the, on the line several times and I do appreciate your wow. input. And, um, um, I'll be here for every, every show. I love it. Really? Well, I, I'm still, I'm still, I mean, I appreciate that. I really do. I'm still like, uh, why, why do people, <laughs> why do people watch? I don't know. I mean, I was like, they're just little old me and uh, stay at home dad and going over turf stuff. But uh, Yeah. I'll put it to you this way. I mean, I've, I've been in this long community now probably for 10 to 12 years and I, I've seen it start from, you know, day one and I watched it, you know, to the point where it is now. And it's a blessing that you actually, uh, you came on right at the right time. Really? You know, see, yes. I, I appreciate you saying that, but I'm, I'm very ignorant when it comes to the YouTube turf lawn world or whatever. I, I, I didn't yeah. know it was um, so established, I guess. I, I had no clue. I was, like I said, I'm busy doing other things. And, and I, I'll tell you what happened. I was watching, I guess it was probably a year ago, yeah, it was a year mm -hmm. ago. It was during Christmas last year. I was I, I watch YouTube for some other stuff unrelated to turf, and on my YouTube recommendation popped up 
the grass factor. And it was Ray and um, Matt. Yes. Uh, no, it was Ray, Ray and Ryan. Yeah, it was Ray and uh, Ryan. And it was just those two guys. Mm -hmm. And I watched, I watched this with Ray and, and Ryan. I'm like, oh, well, that's pretty creative. That's a good idea. And so I contacted them and said, hey, you know, this is interesting. You know, I would like to talk about my research. I didn't know yes. that Matt was sort of the originator or the, I don't know, creator of that show. I didn't know that. I don't even know if that's yes. true. I, I get the impression that that's what happened. And so that tells you how backwoods and just ignorant I am about the YouTube turf world. So no, and, I, I think it's great. The fact that you came on there, I mean, that's, that's where yeah, I first seen you because I, I, I love watching Matt and those guys. Oh. Matt's a very passionate person. He's very caring and he's really helped me out a lot. Oh, you good. Know, and yeah. like when you, when you went on there, we were, I don't know if you've seen it, but everybody was asking, like, please, you know, invite this guy back. And, and I'm oh. hearing rumor that you're going to be back on this month in January, next month. Yeah. Yeah. I think I, I, it's not a secret or anything, but, um, uh, I just hadn't said anything about it. I noticed on their show, um, oh, what was it? It was, I think it was just their last show, Christmas show or something. I don't remember. Uh -huh. that they mentioned that I'd be on there. So I, I'm fine talking about it now. Yeah, I'll be on there on January 11th. And nice. um, we're going to do something fun, very different. And it, it, and I've said this before. I, I, got, I think I said it the last time I had my show on, is that it will either be a raging success or a complete failure. <laughs> One of the two. <laughs> it's, it's not going to be like, eh, that was okay. It's going to be yeah. fun or it's going to be like, well, I'm never watching that again. So... We'll see what happens, but I'm going to have awesome. some fun with those guys in, um, in, in January. And then um, one reason I'm going on is to promote a, a um, event that Ryan and I are speaking at in Florida in, okay. I think it's January. So he and I are going to go down and talk to some people in, at the Sport Turf people in, in Daytona Beach. So we'll, we'll, I'll, I'll kind of plug that while I'm on there, I think. So. All right. But I appreciate you calling. Well, I really do, Super. I yeah. I I, I, uh, I see you on here all the time, and I appreciate you testing out the channel yeah. or testing out the, the phone lines. You're officially the first caller to the show ever, so right. congratulations. Yep. Very nice. <laughs> it's been a pleasure talking with you, and uh, yeah, I'm definitely here for the oh, long haul. Thanks a bunch. Appreciate you. All right. Have a good evening. All Merry right. Christmas. Yep. Bye-bye. Okay. Yep. You well, it works. I, I heard somebody calling in, by the way, when I was on, and um, you'll have to call back. I'm sorry I can't uh, – I don't have any way of – screening calls or um it was from a 385 area code so that might have been that might have been met uh if you tried to call in call back because it, it was going through so I, I can't answer apparently i'm able to answer the phones so <laughs> i was starting to go crazy to think i thinking i was doing something wrong and who knows maybe i was um anyhow where was that the Iron Max liquid was very likely work. Oh, here we go. Another one. Let's try it again. Let's try this again. Hi, this is Travis. Travis, this uh, is Matt DeGoyer. Hi, Matt. I'm sorry. I, you, your, your recommendation to kind of clear out the line and reset it apparently worked because all of a sudden things work. So I, I need all the help I can get when it comes to te technology. So thank you for that. Hey, I get it. I have to do these Teams calls at work, and I'll have 30, 40 people online, and all the weird stuff starts to happen. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> Where are you from, Matt? Uh, I'm from Salt Lake City, Utah. Utah. Okay. 
I'm going to put that on the screen and, and see if this works. I don't know. Matt from Utah. Okay, perfect. I'm, I'm, I might look, I might look professional, but uh, trust me, I'm not. <laughs> okay. So, um, so yeah, you had, um, you had a comment and I'm always, um, I have a soft place for people who just say, you know what, raise their hand and say, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know. I need help. I have, I have a soft place for, for people like that and who are willing to, uh, you know, say, you know, I need help. And it, it, I don't, I'm not saying necessarily you were saying that it just, that's what I inferred from your comment. And, uh, I really appreciate I, I was, that's what, yeah, no, I was saying that because, um, when I was talking to my turf guy, he said, Hey, by the way, when this stuff hits air, you know, it's inert, doesn't work. And it just influenced the, the tip that I used on my spray equipment because I wanted it to hit the leaf and I didn't want it to hit like the soil, yeah. Yeah, but it still works. I mean, if you spray it, the iron works either way, but I, my comment was sincere in the fact that I said, when I put down this 50% uh, low release product, um, second, I got, I got a dog here. (laughs) Dogs and I don't always get along. But is this the first time one's barked at me from across the country? <laughs> hey, yeah, there's a there's a silver lining. But when I use this fifty percent per product, uh, I call it fifty percent flow release. It's a twenty eight four ten with five percent iron in it. I'll put that down, and then about three or four days later, I'll have like a really great, noticeable green, what I would call response. Mm-hmm. And I kind of, what, what I do is I use that 50% product, flow release product, kind of as my base color. And then I'll do a spray iron on top of that just to maintain the really intense green. Yeah. But, so let me understand. I'll re, let me re, repeat back what I heard you say and correct me if I'm wrong. So you have a 28410, I think it is what you said yeah. that has um, 50% slow in and has the, the iron in it. Yeah, I don't, you didn't say what, what form of iron it is, but do you know what the form of iron is? I, just, I don't. I it's okay. All my bags. I went to try to look. It, it, it's all right. Don't worry about it. And you'll put that out. You'll see a response in three or four days, and you'll supplement that with some fo- that foliar twelve zero zero with the iron in it as well. So, and you see a response three to four days out. My question to you is: on a scale of one to a hundred, one being all doubt, no confidence, and one hundred being one hundred percent confidence, no doubt at all. How how confident are you? that that greening response is actually coming from the iron. Um, I guess that's my question is because I guess prior to seeing your content on YouTube, I, I've heard this before with the, with iron that um, if it's oxidized, it's totally inert and and how it gets oxidized. And I, I, I don't know, I'm just trying to be straight up. When I, when I read, when I watch your YouTube, it, it's pretty strongly inferred that liquid iron will, will work great depending on a few things, but granular iron pretty much 
won't work or does not work. And I'm just saying that I see a green response and I guess I don't know if it is from iron. I've never questioned it because okay. I always see a response afterwards. <laughs> okay, excellent. Well, that's a good response. That's fine. So it, um, I'm not saying this is the case, but if, if it were shown to you that the response is highly likely coming from the nitrogen and equally unlikely coming from the iron in the literature in the in scientific literature would that, how would that affect your confidence on your position on whether or not you, you know, you initially thought, well, I just, I just thought it was the iron. I, I you know, I've sort of convinced that it was the iron. It would, if, if we, if you were shown evidence that it was from the nitrogen and not the iron from, from published literature, would that affect your position on any of this? Yeah. Oh, I would love, I would love to know what causes that green response on the fertilizers that I'm familiar with. Yeah. Um, I, I, I don't need to be told it's iron. I, okay. I just know that something in that is, is giving me a green response. Yes. And that is, um, more than likely from the nitrogen. And the, and the reason I say that is, is because when we go out and we separate out the forms of iron from the blend. So I'm assuming this is a blend and not a homogenous granule. I'm assuming this has, you know, urea and it has, okay. Then when we separate these out, in other words, when we go to the blender and we take the raw material before they put it in the blend, and we look at just the nitrogen or we look at just the iron sulfate or just the iron oxide or whatever the iron made or whatever it is. It is extremely rare to see a response to iron granular. And it, 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 I'm not saying it won't happen. I've shown, a, I've shown a publication where it did happen. I'm going to show a publication if I have time tonight. Maybe it, may, it might be next week now. I don't know where iron oxide could could potentially increase the iron in the tissue. It's possible, okay? But these are extremely rare scenarios that are under very specific conditions. The over the overwhelming amount of commonality, the common practice, you know, the application going to, going to Lowe's or Home Depot and you're buying a bag and you're putting out those sorts of practices. The the iron in that fertilizer has has been very has very consistently resulted in no response no greening response when we do it just by itself does that make sense even when we do it with nitrogen yeah. we still don't see any appreciable increase we just see the response from nitrogen have you watched any of the videos before where i, where I applied the nitrogen and i applied this the iron with it as opposed to just the iron by itself did you see those aerial photographs um, I, I'd need to go back and look. I, I've mostly just like listened while I've been driving. Okay. I haven't hey, w- watched a lot of the video. Okay. That's fine. We, I, I, I guess it was probably, uh, you have to go back and look. I can't remember. I think it's called, uh, I can't remember the name of the video, but it was two or three weeks ago. And I showed some aerial photographs where we applied the same amount of iron that was sparged or impregnated onto a nitrogen carrier. And we applied, we applied the same amount of iron sparge onto a non-nutrient carrier. So we're applying the same amount of iron. In one case, we're applying nitrogen. In the other case, we're not applying any nitrogen. And every green square, or in that case, rectangle, every green rectangle was from the nitrogen treatments. And all the iron that was applied without the nitrogen looked the same as applying nothing at all. 
And we and that's the type of evidence that we see consistently over and over and over in the literature. I'm going to show that that happens with St. Augustine grass. I'm going to show that it happens with, um, what was the other one I did? Bermuda grass, bent, uh, bent grass. Okay. And the reason is because it's oxidized. And so the, the sort of the follow-up question was, um, I don't know if it was from you or from another um, commenter, was I kind of inferred, will, will it become eventually come available? Will the iron in the iron oxide, I know it oxidizes, but will it, will it kind of eventually come available? Let me see what you, uh, I think it was. I think I did say that. Yeah, does it just does take it, more time? Yeah, we go. Does it just take more time since it's oxidized? So the, the pragmatic answer is, no, it doesn't take more time. It, it will never really ever be available because iron oxide is now a mineral that is very unlikely to ever release its element. In this case, iron. Um, it's been mineralized. It's been not mineralized. It's it's formed into a mineral. Okay. Yeah. And and there's nothing wrong with minerals. I mean, potassium feldspars release potassium into our soils. Um, there's all sorts of minerals that, that we use knowing that they're going to mineralize their, their components and it's, you know, become soluble and the plant will take it up. But in the case of iron oxide, that mineralization is never really going to happen in our lifetime. It's extremely rare. And the, like I said, the paper today, I was actually going to go over and show that it can't happen, but it's not as if it, you need more time because it's oxides eventually become available geologically speaking scientifically speaking it will eventually become available <laughs> but we're talking hundreds of years potentially thousands of years before well, that let before me ask that. A, if i do a soil test and mm. does that pick up pick up is that measuring uh the oxidized iron or is that measuring like i guess the available iron or is there such a thing okay it's it's not measuring either one so um, I'm, I'm going to assume that when you say take a soil test and that, by the way, it's an excellent question. When you take a soil test, what a soil test is measuring is the extractable nutrients and the, and that's, a, and it's not just semantics. I mean, what is extractable is not only soluble. In other words, there's going to be some soluble elements in there and there's going to end the, but the soil test is going to, t to extract that portion as well as a portion that's not soluble. Okay, and depending on where you live, different soil test extractants are better or more strongly correlated with a plant response. So Malik 3 might be the best option for, um, you know, someone in the southeast, whereas, you know, Bray or Morgan might be better suited to someone in Utah or whatever. So it kind of depends on where you're at. But, but this soil test is not going to test for iron oxide. It's not going to measure any of the iron from iron oxide for any, any meaningful sense anyway. And it's not going to measure just the soluble. It's going to measure soluble plus what's a little bit of what's on the soil colloid. Okay. Uh -huh. So the, but having said that the, the iron on an iron soil on a soil test is not well correlated with turf grass response. I don't care if it's Malik three or Bray or I don't care what it is, saturated pace or anything like that. It's just the, 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 our, our confidence in saying that you need to apply it based upon a soil test is extremely low. I don't have hardly any confidence that when you pull out a soil test and your mate three iron is 50, that I, that when I say, you know what, you probably need to apply iron. I don't have hardly any confidence that I'm correct. 
correct. I got, I got it. Yeah, I might huh. be correct. I, I might be, but my confidence is very, very low because I haven't seen any correlation between what that number is relative to what it, what is necessary in order to meet a certain turf grass color or quality. Mm. Those are all excellent questions. I, the reason why I ask is because I do an annual soil test. Um, I just like to see where things are, how things move, I guess, from year to year. Okay. And I use a ton of iron and hmm. uh, I, I'm just surprised. I'm always like really like super lacking in iron and I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm always doing iron. I know. I was, I was, <laughs> good, I was, I was grinning because I knew that's what you're going to say. <laughs> Your iron's not going to move because the, the soil test isn't measuring oxidized iron. It's only measuring extractable iron and you're not going to extract okay. any iron from a malic three. Malic three is a weak acid. I mean, it's not, it's not that strong. I don't know what the P I can't remember the pH off the top of my head, but it's not that strong of an acid. And the, and the D and the EDTA in it is only going to, is, is the, the component of the extractant intended to extract micronutrients. The, the value of malic three is really in its ability to better correlate with micronutrients. So, and it has other additional components to the extractant that perform that function compared to malic one. But for iron, it's not going to really extract any of that because all of it's oxidized. I mean, iron is going to oxidize right. extremely fast once you, once it hits the soil. And so when you apply an acid, or in this case, um, an acid and a chelate in the, in the extractant solution, there's a chelate, it's going to pull some of that micronutrient out. Well, all the iron's already oxidized. Well, not all mm. of it, but, but a huge portion of it is. I mean, you know, a large majority of the iron is not in a form that is going to ever be available to the plant. Okay. I'm speaking pragmatically here to some degree. I mean, I understand scientifically there's going to be something there, but the, the majority of the iron that the plant's going to take up is going to take it up from the rhizosphere, the, the area around the root that is in intimate contact with the soil. That those strategies that the plant uses, the exudation of phytosiderophores or chelates and the exudation of hydrogen ions to lower that pH and reduce that Fe3 down to Fe2, that, that little rhizosphere slip, little bitty sliver of, of space between the root and the soil, that's where the iron is, is taken up. And that's a function of the plant, not a function of the soil iron. The plant is actually mm. performing that function. That's how plants survive. I'm going to go over that in a few weeks on a, on a soil pH, um, article I'm going to go over. In fact, I might go over it next Wednesday. So plants take up the iron, um, from their hard work, basically. So whatever's in the soil, it could be 50 parts per million. It could be 5,000 parts per million, whatever. But the plant for the most part is going to provide the major interaction, the major function in terms of taking up the iron. Cause it's going to do that through exudation of natural chelates or a reduction in the soil pH right around the root to where it solubilizes some of that iron and gets it taken up. Hmm. Yeah. So I wouldn't worry too much well, about iron on the soil test. Yeah. I, you know, I, I worry less and less about, about the soil test. I, I think it's over promoted. Um, right. You and I can be friends. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we are friends. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, but, I, I've been doing this for a long time and I'm just becoming more and more convinced year after year that we really should just stop soil testing almost completely unless we have a problem we're trying to diagnose or we have a pre-existing condition. So for example, let's say Matt, that you had, um, let's say your pH was nine and your turf was horrible. Let's say that's the case. 
five years ago. And over time, you've been lowering it down and your turf's getting a little bit better. And now it's like seven, five, right? It went from nine to seven, five over two or three years or four years of you know, pH reductions. Your turf's looking better. Well, you're, you have a pre-existing condition in that case. So I would recommend continuing your soil test, just like your doctor would recommend continuing your blood test. If you have some sort of heart function and you're trying to met, you know, trying to track it over time because you've had a heart attack or mm-hmm. you've had high cholesterol or something. I would continue to take the soil test because you've had a pre-existing condition that you're trying to keep track of, right? But in cases where the turf looks fine and you just want to know what the numbers are, okay, know what the numbers are, but I, I don't, I wouldn't have much use for a soil test if the turf looks fine and you don't have any pre-existing condition. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I'm, just, I'm just becoming I, I, more convinced that that's the case. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. I, I think I think the way that I think the way that soil tests are it seems a little bit flawed to me because a soil test is is going to I think like show you the the nutrients that are available but if they're not available it, it, doesn't that just mean that the, the the plant or the ground and the microbes hasn't broken it down to that point where it is available Well okay um you want the scientific and answer or the, the pragmatic top. answer? <laughs> the scientific answer is soil tests don't measure what's available. Soil tests do not measure or provide a number about what is available. It's only what's extractable. So it's a, it's a key, okay. that's a key, you know, differentiation. I mean, it, it, you know, we are simply extracting a portion of nutrients that are in the soil partial most some of it was already soluble some of it wasn't soluble and was extracted and we are trying to correlate that with what we expect to see and what we what the, we anticipate the plant needing we need we the plant needs this much and below that when it drops below that level we're going to see a reduction in some metric of the plant so okay mm-hmm. we, we've correlated that okay so if you drop below 50 we're going to see consistently see a reduction in turf quality of some elements pick pick iron for example well, if I saw any evidence to support that in the literature that was any in any way can you know consistent, then I would have some confidence that the number should be fifty. Anything below fifty, I would recommend an application. So it's it, I, I don't it's it's not available and it's not soluble. It's extractable. So having said that, the question was more um, the uh, more related of like what was the salt? What were you saying? Uh, available? Does, it, does it eventually break it down like the microbe? But if it's something like a, a iron, what's iron? Fe three. Yeah, well, Fe three. It depends on the spe- you know, species of iron. Fe three, Fe two. Yeah. So if it starts to break off those extra, um, is it? Pro- I don't know what it Protons, is. Protons. Yeah. It, it start- yeah. Yeah. Then, 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 as it breaks that down to like an Fe two or an Fe one, that's when it becomes more available. Correct? Yeah. Yes. I mean, you know, generally speaking, first of all, you, I want to make sure everybody's clear on this. I am not a, a specialist in iron in the soil or the plant. I don't. I don't. I don't. You know, if someone's listening to this, if Doctor, you know, uh, uh, <laughs> Lindsay's listening to this, or Doctor McBride's listening to this, I don't know even know if they're still alive, but they're going to be rolling in their grave. They listen to me say something about iron, but um, I don't. I'm not a specialist in iron, but the plant, as best we can tell, takes up most of it the iron as the Fe2 form. Okay. Once it gets into the plant, it's a whole nother thing that goes on there. Okay. But 
But yes, the Fe2 is generally the form that's taken up as the, as the more soluble form between Fe3 and Fe2. Fe3, however, is generally the, the most the species that's most prevalent in the soil. It needs to be reduced down to Fe2. The majority of cases that that happens, or the majority of the mechanism that how that occurs, is not from soil per se. It's from the plant or in ligands as well. Organic ligands in the soil can reduce that down as well to Fe2. But it's the plant. The plant is performing a function right at the root surface that's reducing that from Fe3 to Fe2. So it's not the the microbes that are um, providing some okay. sort of uh, pro providing some sort of function with iron in terms of well, I, mean, I can't say that there is some there's going to be some effect there, but with iron it's primarily from the ligand interaction in the soil, the interaction with the dissolved oxygen in the soil, and the interaction at the root surface. Those three things are constantly in conflict with each other. Uh, oxygen is oxidizing the, the iron, the ligands are reducing the iron, and the root is reducing the iron right near the root surface. So all that stuff's mm -hmm. going on to provide the iron that gets taken up by the plant. So with relation to soil testing, we're, we're soil testing and extracting a, a component of iron from the soil. We don't, we're, not, we're not speciating it. We're not knowing whether it's Fe3 or Fe2 or whatever. It's just whatever we extracted, and it goes onto an instrument that burns it, and it burns all the iron that was in it, whatever species it was. It's sort of irrelevant to some degree because we just want to correlate that with the plant, and we haven't, as far as I know, we haven't consistently seen that to be reliable. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't use any soil test to apply mm -hmm. or not apply iron. I just don't see Yeah, that's that. good to know. I yeah. the most I get out of a soil test is I'm interested to see what my pH is and I'm yeah. also interested in my phosphorus and potassium levels. Just because mm -hmm. I, I have so much potassium okay. or excuse me, phosphorus. Okay. And I'm just trying to coast down by not using it as Well, as, if you have a lot of potassium or a lot of phosphorus, why are you using phosphorus in your granular fertilizer? Is that the only thing you can get a hold of? I, I try to avoid it, but sometimes, you know, like I'll, I'll, here's, I do avoid it, but sometimes I'll throw down like a 12, 12, 12, just to kind of kickstart the lawn or, hmm. uh, just give me like a, like a balanced, this is, I, and I guess this is just like in my experience. So okay. this is, this is what I do, <laughs> Okay. but I'll throw down like a 12, 12, 12. And, um, like if I plant some seeds or if I do an overseed, I'll plant I'll throw down like a 12, 12, 12 a few weeks later because I want that phosphorus to be available and I'm always, he and I'm, and I'm cautious of the number I see in the soil test. Cause I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't, it does, it just doesn't seem like I could have that much phosphorus and never put any down and, and benefit from, from some when I do, you know yeah. what I mean? Do you have any idea of like what the phosphorus levels are on your test? Just, any ballpark um, they're like right at the the top range it's that soil savvy test mm -hmm. and i don't know what their their range is parts per million i can find out and speak to it more clearly but i don't have it in front of me which so let me look at the soil which one's the soil savvy test? is that the little bead that's in that thing let me look yes at it. okay and we need we you and i need to talk <laughs> <laughs> this uh, is using these ion beads, right? Is this a, is this an ion exchange yeah. resin? Okay. Yes, it is. Yeah. Okay. 
Yeah, we'll, 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 we need to chit chat off air maybe sometime. <laughs> That's this, great. Yeah, the, uh, the I'll go into this in the future. Maybe it's not a. I'll, I'll be here for five hours talking about it if I get on this topic tonight. But the ion, <laughs> the ion exchange bead test, I, 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 in my opinion, I think it has the greatest potential to really have an impact on our industry. But it hasn't really provided any, you know, significant, meaningful, you know, evidence to, to convince me. I just know the concept itself is pretty, pretty interesting, but the, is that the tissue test? No, the, the IMB, no, no, no. The tissue tests are separate. The IMB is what it does is it, uh, I don't know. If, I don't want to speak uh, incorrectly about the soul savvy test. So I'm, I'm just take soul savvy off. I don't want to, you know, have them get mad okay. at me because I'm missing, I don't know what they do and don't do, but, um, I know, I know. The ion bead, basically what it is, is it's an, it's an ion exchange resin that's in there that has, um, um, I don't know how to explain it, but think of it as, think of it as like a synthetic CEC site and you, you mix in the soil with a, uh, a known, known amount of soil, known volume of soil with a known amount of di deionized water. And the, uh, there's a certain amount of those cations and anions, depending on whatever ion bead you have that will be absorbed by that bead. And then you take it into the lab, you wash it off, and then you extract all that from the ion bead that got stuck on the bead. And they'll say, okay, that's how much is more. Um, representative of what the root might encounter in reality in real life and, and so that's all sounds fine and dandy the technology i think has, has is very interesting um, but we need to know correlations right we still need to correlate what that number means relative to what the turf is experiencing or the turf is um, you know showing signs of phosphorus deficiency well, at what level will we see that on an ion exchange bead and I, as far as I know, I don't, I don't know of any evidence to support the number should be five mm. or the number should be 20 or whatever the case might be. Okay. So, but I do think of, of all the technologies that exist, I think it has the greatest probability of actually providing a significant impact on our industry. If they, if we ever do get enough money and someone funds enough research to actually do the correlations and calibrations with those types of tests. But the only ones that I know of have been done with nitrogen with nitrates and there, there is some pretty strong evidence to use those, that type of technology for nitrates on cool season grasses. I wouldn't, well, I would say, I wouldn't say it's strong, but it's, there is some good evidence to, to kind of take me off the center line. <laughs> I guess that's the way to say it. So anyway, all right, Matt. Well, I appreciate you calling in and you and uh, Super TA helping me out, making sure these lines work. It was a good conversation. I appreciate that. We're going to get into soil testing. You, we, we, I'm, we're not, I'm not going anywhere. So there's a lot of content on soil testing that I will go over, I can assure you. So if you're interested in that, then it might be a couple months, but we'll get to it, okay? I am. I, appreci I appreciate your channel. Just what I wanted to tell you about your channel is I love the scientific content. It's not just like, oh, this will make your lawn greener this is super power punch you know <laughs> and if you watch a lot of lawn videos like i do they're yeah. kind of all that way yeah yeah you know I, it's, unfortunately i've been getting more and more of those on my channel on my algorithm or whatever i've been getting like i don't even know the names of them like you said green punch or green power or whatever the case is and um you know, some, sometimes there's, there's truth to that. And sometimes most, most of the time it's just someone making a claim, but it basically the short and skinny of it is if it's liquid iron, like your first product, there's a pretty good chance. As long as it's soluble iron that you're going to see a response. If you're applying it out at one to five pounds of iron per acre, or if you have some nitrogen in it, there's a really good chance you're going to see a response. But there's an equally 
good chance you won't see a response from applying granular iron. It's, it's probably going to oxidize. It's probably going to do it very, very quickly. It's not going to be available anytime soon. Even if it's chelated, I'm going to show you some chelated numbers here in the next week or two, but even if it's chelated, it's, it's probably not going to hang around that, that long, certainly not at a rate high enough to probably see a response from it, but, um, but it could happen. I mean, I'm not going to say granular iron won't ever do it scientifically, but pragmatically, I would never consider it because I would consider it a more wasteful use of my money than, than foliar iron. Okay. Yeah, I appreciate it. I appreciate your time. All right. Thanks, Matt. Appreciate it. Have a good evening. Merry okay. Christmas. Thanks. We'll talk soon. All right. See you. All right. Bye. All right. Bye. Bye. All right. Well, that was a good call. Well, we're, we're, it's, 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 it's working. Okay. It's, it's the system starting to, starting to function. <laughs> I have one more comment I'm going to go over tonight and then I'll have to do the, the, the article, I guess, next Wednesday. So the other art, the other comment I wanted to mention was this, and this actually includes a small article. Okay. So I will go over a tiny bit of an article here on this next question. Let's see if I can get this back up here. The next question comes from money B 22 on the same video, the same ironite video I posted earlier today. And it says, quick question when applying foliar iron, I'm assuming it should not be watered in. But when is it safe to water after application? Typically, those are very practical questions. And I, and I, I appreciate that question. I told him I would address it tonight. So my response was, let me click on this and see if it comes up. My response was great question. I will also address this tonight. I would wait until the next day, but if you wait four to six hours, you should be okay. Now with iron, my response is largely anecdotal. Okay. Largely, not completely, largely. I know from my experience, having done this dozens of times that if I put out iron, foliar, iron sulfate or foliar, iron, glucoheptanate or foliar, iron, EDTA, or any of the foliar, uh, soluble iron sources in the morning, say nine, 10 in the morning, if there's no dew on the grass and I can get it off and it's dry and spread on there, I'll see a response before I go home 5 PM happens every time. As long as you do the right rate and you do the right volume of spray and all that stuff, it happens virtually every time I've never done it. I don't, I've never done it and it didn't show response. Let me say that. So it's anecdotal. I'd never done a timed, uh, study where I actually measured the amount of time it took to see, see the maximum response. But other people have done that on other elements like nitrogen. So let me bring up this article. <clears throat> This article is one of the better articles I can even think of on foliar nitrogen uptake. This is an article published by Chris Stiegler, Dr. Richardson, and Dr. Karcher. These two guys here, where's my marker? These guys deserve a marker. These two guys here are rock stars in the turf grass industry. Dr. Karcher is now at Ohio State. Dr. Richardson is still at Arkansas. And hopefully I can get one of these two guys on here because they're uh, immensely knowledgeable. Chris Stiegler was also a rock star. Unfortunately, he had an accident and um, is no longer with us. But uh, they did a lot of really good work for the short time Chris was with us. And this is one of his papers. In this paper, there is a, there is a graph. And I'm going to show that right here. This graph, for those listening, is figure one. No, I'm sorry. The article, let me, let me type the title. The title is foliar nitrogen uptake following your reapplications to putting green turf grass species. 
This was published in 2011 in Crop Science. So this is one of our top tier journals, if not the top tier journal for all practical purposes for turfgrass science. That's our top tier journal. And you go down to figure one and it has creeping bent grass and Bermuda grass. And we're going to see a figure with the lines and the, the x-axis. We have time from zero to 25 hours with N15 labeled urea. And we have N recovered in plants as a percent of applied on the y-axis. And we will notice from zero time to one hour, we're going to see 50, 40, 50% of the nitrogen be taken up in the first hour after application of foliar urea to Bermuda grass about 40% taken up in the first hour to foliar applied to greeping bent grass. So we have a cool season grass and a warm season grass. This line starts to bend over heavily at this point. So the maximum uh, uptake occurred probably around somewhere between five and 10 hours starts to flatten off on Bermuda grass and sometime or probably around five, 10 hours, something like that. It really starts to bend over and you know, really plateau off at about 50%, 60% in creeping bent grass. So this is not iron, this is urea. It's very different, but based upon my experience with iron, seeing a response, if I put it out at nine or 10 in the morning, I'm gonna see a response by three or four in the afternoon, very consistently, I'm gonna see that. One to five pounds of iron per acre with soluble iron. You're gonna see that. Based upon this research, where you're looking at soluble N15 labeled urea actually being taken up into the plant, almost all the urea that's going to be taken into the plant is going to be taken into the plant in the first one hour after application. Okay. Total max was about 55% going into Bermuda grass and about uh, maybe a little more going into bent grass, but about the same, about 50 to 55% of the nitrogen was taken up total. The majority of that occurred in the first hour. Okay. So that is that along with my anecdotal observations, which I don't like to rely upon, but I don't have anything else to rely upon when it comes to iron uptake. That's the reason why I told the, the, the person who made that comment, who, uh, where was it? Where it was, uh, money B 22, you know, how, how long is it safe? When is it safe to water after applying the foliar iron? I told him I would wait till the next day. But if you wait four to six hours, you're probably okay. That's the reason. So my response is largely anecdotal because I've done it so many times. I've seen it, but I could be wrong. I don't like to rely upon anecdotes. I don't rely, like to rely upon observations. But if I know urea will be taken up in the first hour, majority will be taken up the first hour if applied foliarly. It's a different element. It's not charged. Urea is not charged. Iron is charged. It's different situation. But leads me to have a little bit of confidence in saying, for four to six hours, you're probably fine. You can water, you apply water four to six after hours after you apply iron. But if you wait till the next day, just wait till the next day, you're fine. Okay. Very practical question. And I hope that that answer made some sense uh, to him and to you all. I think I'm going to call it that. That's been an hour and a half. I didn't even get to the article, but that just means there's going to be a, an article next week. So <laughs> I really enjoyed the phone call with Madden. Super TA, I appreciate you guys helping me out tonight with making sure this thing's working. And uh, let me read through the chat and make sure that I didn't miss anything. I saw Ulysses comment, okay. Uh, Super TA, oh, Super TA says, your streams are so are so full of valuable information. I can't see a reason for someone to call in versus learn. Oh, I, oh, the influencers will never call in and probably are paranoid that you 
are exposing facts. <laughs> well, like I said, I I, uh, I think it's critical that we we accept people who for who they are. They're human beings, and um, not to attack human beings. Uh, I respect human beings. I see a lot of them as being victims of misinformation. In cases where you are not a victim, in other words, you're using misinformation to sell product, like some of the videos we showed earlier today, one of the videos we showed earlier today, I don't consider those people victims, and uh, I don't mind calling them out, but uh, it's really the content, that their, their claims are, are what I'm looking at, not not the person, and um, you know, I, I try to differentiate between the two. Uh, Ulysses says your appearance on lawn therapy was awesome too. Oh yeah. No, he, you know, 2023 is over, but he, he was my hero. I mean, the, the dude is forget about it. We're here goofing around on YouTube and that guy's dismantling explosives in Europe somewhere because Putin's doing silly stuff over there. So that's some, that's a serious hero. I mean, that guy is good. I mean, he's that, that, that lawn therapy. If you don't watch lawn therapy, go over and subscribe to his channel too. That, that guy's a serious American hero. It's not only the knowledge learned, but also hearing the stories and backgrounds of the hosts and the personal stories that are shared. Oh, okay. Well, I do do that sometimes. I, sometimes I wonder whether I should, but I guess it's nice to hear if you like that stuff. Super TA says, I would love to understand more about phosphorus. Well, so would I. <laughs> I, would, I would love to understand too. I went to graduate school with a guy who did his whole, his whole PhD on phosphorus, calcium phosphate. And man, the, the, the ion pair between calcium and phosphorus and whether or not there was any retention and delay of phosphorus leaching from that pair. It was just a, you know, interesting subject. And, uh, his, I think it's his wife. His wife is incredibly knowledgeable on, on biogeochemistry and phosphorus and all these things. And I would like to know more about phosphorus too. I'm, I am, I know just enough to get in trouble on phosphorus, but super TA says my, my levels of phosphorus have been very high for years. Even after not applying for three years, I fell victim to the Milgram. Oh, you apply Milgramite. You apply Milgramite for a long time. Super TA. Yeah. We showed that video. I showed that article. I'm sorry about the long-term ramifications of applying biosolids to the land the phosphorus levels can skyrocket and stay that way for a long, long time, decades and potentially centuries. It would take for the phosphorus to come down that low. And for anybody on YouTube that wants a snippet, if you ever listen to someone who says, throw her down, turn off the channel. Okay. Stop throwing down phosphorus because you're screwing stuff up for everybody else. And it's okay to turn a blind eye and turn away and not, you know, well, I'm not, it's just my lawn. I'm going to do what I want to do on my own lawn. You can do that for now, but eventually the government's come going to come around and going to institute a law and start fining people. And then we're all going to be restri more restricted. Okay. I don't want government to make restrictions and regulations. I want to be able to mind my business. You mind your business. I get that. But if you're going to continue to put stuff down, that's influencing the next guy down the stream, Government's got to step in. The Love Canal, you know, happened for a reason. People weren't paying attention and they have to stop they have to step in and stop people from doing crazy things. So in phosphorus is one of those things. So if you're throwing her down and it has phosphorus in it and you don't need the phosphorus, if you have, if your, your, your turf grass is fine and the soil test phosphorus is high, stop throwing her down and stop listening to those guys that are telling you to do it. Driving me insane with this stuff. 
Gray, thank you. Very good conversation tonight. Yeah, I thought it was. Yeah, thank you so much. Josiah Thornton, 408 subscribers. Why? The best thing. <laughs> oh, you're saying why? Maybe it's too low. Maybe it is. I don't know. I'm not worried about that. I'm not going anywhere. I'm retired. I'm just doing this for fun. You know, here to, I mean, what, what can I do? I try to help, you know, people want to watch, they want to watch, they don't want to watch. I'm, I'm not exactly the most exciting person on YouTube. Somebody will put a YouTube saying a thing up and this is no joke. You can look it up. This is just last week. Somebody put up a, a video saying I, I adopted a hundred dogs within 12 hours. There were 22 million views on that one video, 22 million in the, in like 10 hours, whatever the number was. Because he had a nice little thing, uh, you know, adopted dogs, right? To adopt dogs. I'm, I'm, I'm all for that, you know, if you want to do that. But those sorts of things drive, drive, uh, drive views. Facts and science sometimes are boring. And I, and I've, I've been, uh, I've been accused of being boring more than once. And I don't, I don't disagree. <laughs> hey, Aldo. See, so you made it. Looking swag. What am I, what am I, is this, is this too much? Um, Josiah says on the, on the, my warm season lawns, I'm low on phosphorus and potassium following bad advice. I would like to know what you mean by low on P and K. We're going to get into soil tests. I mean, this is definitely something, definitely something I'm, I'm not going to skip over. I'm not going to go over lightly either. Um, I'll just say it here. I'll say it as many times as I have to say it is that, or that I have to say it is that soil test numbers don't really mean that much to me as a soil scientist who studies soil tests on turf grass science okay it, it doesn't they don't really mean that much to me just in and of themselves uh, there's not a lot of correlation with many of those numbers there's even fewer calibrations with many of those numbers okay what i want to know is what your turf grass looks like you know so what's low you know there's been documented cases of phosphorus being adequate at like eight parts per million, nine parts per million, 10 parts per million. Those are adequate levels. Okay. There's been cases of growing situations where 30 parts per million wasn't enough. It was, it was, it was not uh, enough to, to sustain the, the turf grass, uh, you know, expected results on, on growings at 30 parts per million, maybe three. But I mean, there's been cases where 20 isn't 20 is enough. 30 is not enough. I mean, there's it, just, there's it's just not a lot of, I don't have a lot of confidence, I should say. And in reality, the, the strange thing is that phosphorus has been studied the most and there's just not a lot, um, not a lot there. I mean, I, it's probably some, the number's probably somewhere between 10 and 20 in most cases, but I, I wouldn't, I, I just don't have a lot of confidence in it. And I just, and more importantly than the number and my confidence in the number is people Turning their eye away from the turf, the, 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 the epistemological approach. I mean, how do you know? Well, I know because the, the soil test number says it's low. No, that's not why you know. Okay, stop thinking that way. Look at the turf first. The turf has to be the primary factor. If, if the number, let me ask you this. If the, and I've said this before on a podcast, and I mentioned this to, to my scientific buddies, uh, my colleagues in academia before, and they kind of think I'm crazy. If the phosphorus number on a soil test was zero, but your turf looked fine, would you apply phosphorus? And people will say, yes, I would apply phosphorus if the, if the phosphorus says zero. 
even if the turf was perfectly acceptable, I'd still apply phosphorus if the phosphorus was zero. If the phosphorus is zero on a soil test and your turf is fine, then the test is wrong. The test is wrong. And I think people have this idea that the test in soils is as reliable and dependable as a, as a medical test. It's not. It's not that reliable. It's very unreliable in many cases. So I just don't put a lot of confidence in soil testing. Um, I do use soil tests when I'm trying to diagnose turf grass problems. If the turf is unacceptable, then I will use a soil test to kind of help guide me a little bit. But I'm using it as a guide to diagnose issues. I'm not using it as a, rec as, as a guide to recommend fertilizer applications in, in most cases. So please keep that in mind as you kind of meander through my channel. You'll, you'll probably hear that more than once. Uh, Matt says he did milorganite applications for several years. Like I said, I mean, there's nothing, every fertilizer product out there has a, has a value. You know, I can make turf grass look great with virtually any nitrogen source. And so can you, I'm sure you're very familiar with that. The question is at what economic and environmental cost we want to have as little economic cost and a little, little cost as possible to produce the product we're looking for. We can do that with a variety of different nitrogen sources. When they're blended or when they're homogenized like milorganite is, where you have phosphorus in it, you have to consider the, the environmental cost. You're, you're inflating the phosphorus levels so high that it is at least increasing the potential environmental risk. And I, I just don't think we can do that forever. It started, I mean, we, they've been banning phosphorus all over the states, and it's pretty clear there's a very strong relationship between locations that have banned phosphorus and a corresponding reduction in the application of that phosphorus. And... You know, it's unfortunate that the government's got to step in to do these things sometimes, but if we just keep going along, being ignorant and throwing her down all the time, eventually they're going to step in. It's just inevitable. Eventually they're going to step in and they're going to say, nope, you can't do this anymore. And then there's one more restriction on us. Meanwhile, if you just do it voluntarily, you'll save money. The turf grass probably isn't going to change. Turf grass is going to probably going to look the same as it ever was, unless there's a phosphorus deficiency. If there is a phosphorus deficiency, then sure, not mill organite and natural organics have a place. If there's not a phosphorus deficiency and the, and the natural organic has a phosphorus in it, I want someone to email me some or call me and show me some evidence where there is a good reason to apply natural organic product fertilizer that contains phosphorus to a turf grass that is not phosphorus deficient. I, I can't think of any good reason why that you would need to do that. So, so ergo, there's no good reason to apply any natural organic product that contains phosphorus at all unless the turf grass is deficient in phosphorus. There's no good reason. You can, you can provide the, the nutritional needs to, of the plant in other ways that are less expensive and avoid the phosphorus um, inclusion and avoid that potential environmental risk. Eric Sands says, I must be very drawn to boring. This is among my favorite things to watch yeah well i'm just self-aggrandizing i guess i don't know i apologize i shouldn't probably shouldn't do that super ta says i disagree with your statement you are by far more very interesting appreciate you travis your subs will grow momentum as you more more catch on yeah i appreciate it yeah there are more and more milorganite knockoffs out there and they'll all have phosphorus 530 yeah there's there's some from houston there's some from jacksonville there's some from milwaukee yeah there's there's all sorts of um Mil milorganite clones out there 
uh, we, we human beings have to have, we have to be cleaned up after. And that, that involves a lot of creation of biosolids and we got to do something with it. And I'm not saying don't use it. I'm just saying use it when there's a phosphorus deficiency. And unless there is, I would avoid it. Okay, guys, I'm going to shut things down for today. That's all I got. Uh, I will be back next Wednesday, same time at uh, nine or what was it? 9 PM Eastern time next Wednesday. And then after that, I'll start back on the weekdays. So my kids will go back to school and I will be back on the regular schedule after next week. So really appreciate the two that called in and everybody else that participated in the chat. Really appreciate all your input. And, and uh, I just I can't thank you enough for, for attending and being part of the show and, and, and watching, watching it grow. And, and hopefully you learn something as you participate. Wayne popped in at the very end. If you're growing grass for seed, is the nutrition needs different? Yes, they are different. Um, okay, uh, let me just mention. Let me just mention this real quickly. Uh, Wayne asked a good question, so let me let me mention. Let me answer this real quickly. So Wayne says, if you're growing grasses for seed, is the nutritional needs different? So if you're in Washington or you're in Oregon or Canada, and you're growing like fescue for seed, and you're going to harvest that seed. And that's you're in an, you're in a situation that's no longer a horticulture situation. You're in an agriculture situation, which is one of the only two or three turf grass situations I can think of: agriculture, saw production, and seed production. So you've stepped out of the world of Travis Shaddix and moved into the world of agriculture production. And I would say that the the answer is very likely yes. The nutritional needs are different because now you're dealing with. Uh, fruiting and seed and fluorescence and all these things that occur in the plant that require different, have different, different nutritional demands throughout the life cycle of that plant. You're not going to cut it low and you're not going to constantly cut it. So you're dealing with a foreign, you're, you, it, it's foreign to me. I can't, I can't, I can't tell you what it would be. I just know that um, the same thing occurs with like corn, the nutritional demands of corn are different at say the three leaf stage or the six leaf stage, as opposed to the silk stage, because it's pulling more, it has a new, higher nutritional demand and pull whenever it's putting on fruit. So it's a very exhaustive labor intensive energy, exhaustive process to fruit. So when you're growing it for seed, my assumption, I guess I'm assuming this, so take it for what it's worth is that the nutritional needs would be different based upon what stage it's growing. If you're growing it for seed. Not sure if that's common. I've never really heard of like a normal, just a homeowner sort of person doing that. But, um, but that would be my answer to that question. <clears throat> okay, guys. All right, guys. Appreciate it. Look for me again next Wednesday. I'll be, um, there'll be a video released every day this week in the mornings. And then I'll cut this up if I have any things to, to post and I'll uh, be posting videos throughout the remainder of, of this week and the early next week. And then I'll be live next Wednesday. Okay, guys, I have a, oh, by the way, I have a, have a song that'll, that if you don't, if you have your Shazams ready, you want to listen to this. I should have mentioned this earlier is that Shazam will catch this in about five seconds. This is the most, the most popular rock band in Germany. It's my favorite German rock band. I'll leave you with this and um, I'll see you next Wednesday. All right, guys. See you.